Hey guys, welcome to Journey Podcast. I'm your host Smita Kanturi. You're going to hear a new segment in Journey Podcast as Coach It Forward. Hope you guys enjoy. Hello everybody. I have Heidi Gross with me today. She is a licensed psychotherapist with 18 years of working with trauma survivors. and training clinicians to do the same she is also a transformation strategist and entrepreneur thank you for being here welcome to the show and thank you for your time again oh you're welcome thank you so much i love having these conversations and spreading more awareness around um these different topics so happy to be here absolutely absolutely i had the pleasure of talking to you before and knowing your work a little bit so please go ahead and tell us like what is that exactly you do in your work how do you help with people yeah so I, you know i've been a licensed psychotherapist now for almost 20 years and um i have valued all of the work i've done with my clients and actually um that is what motivated me to create the transformation methodology a coaching program that i am using um with my clients to help them align their values with their decisions and lifestyle choices that they're making um to um continue achieving great success in their lives um and really this came from hearing countless stories of um people describing these sort of emotional blocks that they would come up against right and and the reason why i created this program is because there you don't have to qualify um for a, a clinical diagnosis right to to experience some type of emotional block in your life it's like we all have them but we all also have to be aware of how to navigate those intense emotional times right so that we don't get stuck in those feelings um because when we get stuck in our feelings we can't see a way out we can't see a way through um and that's where for a lot of people it ends up being a barrier to continuing to move forward and achieve the next great success when you said like emotional blocks i'm pretty sure like it it has like a broad variety of emotional blocks for everybody it depends on each individual and when you're also saying like it doesn't need a clinical uh, diagnosis for every mental block which is perfectly correct because even i have a lot yeah. sometimes like for example i mean every single time i read a bio of a guest i screw up i know the reason why i do that i'm still working on it i i don't know for that two sentences i get like uh i get nervous for no reason and i'll just like yeah I, i'll go wrong somewhere or some something yeah but yeah talking about that like knowing those things how do you differentiate that this person might need a clinical diagnosis and go through that medical procedure versus getting help without having that kind of a procedures Yeah so you know when we're when we're talking about a clinical need we're really identifying you know um symptoms and criteria that you know are referenced in our diagnostic tool our DSM right and so when i'm interacting with someone who's really their chief complaint is around symptom management or about you know a serious quality of life issue um then it is more of a clinical need right versus um when i'm talking with someone where we're just talking about like 
destructive patterns that are creating a lot of self-doubt or where they're um, they're feeling challenged in being able to effectively lead, you know, their team meeting, or, you know, like you were just mentioning where it's like, you know, they, they have a sense of overwhelm that causes them to sort of lose focus momentarily, right? It's not, it's not a major quality of life issue. It's, um, it's something where you're, even you're acknowledging like, oh, I get this sort of like, brain fog moment, you know, where I'm like, what, what am I doing? Like, what am I saying? And then five seconds in, I've regained, I've gotten clarity, I've sort of pivoted and I've navigated through that moment, right? Um, but then there are other, you know, there are other more intense emotional um, blocks that I see a, a lot of people um, experience and, and, you know, it's really about, um, you know, how are they attaching themselves to those emotions where it becomes, you know, a part of their, their identity. And a lot of times it's in professional settings where this is happening, right? Where, you know, they're, um, they're feeling um, so um, inadequate um, imposter syndrome is a new uh, sort of trending phrase that a lot of people are using. And, and I'm always um, asking my clients, like, what do you mean by that? To see exactly how they're using that um, to apply it to their lives. Um, but it's, it's never because um, a client is suggesting that they don't have the experience or the training or the skill set. It's that they're doubting the application of what they know because they're comparing themselves to someone else out there that they assume are doing it better than how they're doing it, right? And so, you know, that's not saying that they don't have the skills to do it. It's that now they're getting caught up in their heads and that becomes the block from them being able to apply what they know and what they're usually quite brilliant at. Absolutely. Does that clarify a little? Absolutely, yes. I saw you nodding your head, yeah. Absolutely. So comparison with others, that's a very interesting point because everybody usually does it. Even as a parent, we jump on talking to to our kids saying like, hey, that kid is getting like straight A's, what are you doing and things, so on and so forth. That is like a basic dialogue with everybody in, in, at their houses, whether it is studies or like whether it is comparison with other kids for something else, like how, how neat they keep the things, whatever the reasons, like what do you suggest for the people who just gets into comparison for each and everything and that too specifically with their kids? Yeah, it's a great question and so relevant. So thank you for asking. Um, because it's the comparison piece is magnified tenfold, in my opinion. And that has so much to do with our access to social media, right? So, you know, and and so I think a really big reminder is I shift all of my clients' attention away from what they're looking at externally. And I ask them to focus on their intention behind whatever it is that they're measuring up against. Right. So for instance, you know, if it's the straight A thing, right. You know, so, um, you know, if you're having that conversation with your child, 
right? And the child is, a, it, your student is aware that they might not be measuring up against other students in their class. It's like, well, hold on. Let's, let's look at how did you prepare, right? How do you feel about the steps that you took to prepare for this exam, yeah. right? And, um, and, and not just study-wise, how did you take care of your personal being in preparation for this exam? Because it's not just about what you know, right? It's how much sleep did you get? Did you eat before you went to school that morning? Um, you know, it, uh, were you um, going in feeling um, overwhelmed or were you able to sort of center yourself? Did you do any breathing exercises? And, and this might sound like a, a funny or an awkward conversation um, for parents to have with their child, but let me tell you more and more we are seeing um, schools and, and um, academic staff um, have these conversations with their students. And so I find the, the best thing to do in parenting is to be that echo. So when you find out that there, there has been a, um, a study skills you know, class that's gone on for your student, echo those strategies and tips because your student has to hear this over and over again um, for it to really resonate, right? I mean, that's how we adults work too. But by focusing um, back on the intention, it takes the value away from the grade around, you know, or, or by, from the performance. Um, because, you know, listen, we're not perfect beings. We're not. And if the student is feeling really good about their process, then let's celebrate that because we want the student to continue, um, you know, duplicating that process. You know, we want them to keep repeating that process if it's confidence building. And then we look for ways to introduce ways to refine the process, right? Yeah, so it's, it's a great way of focusing on the strengths and the positive and letting go of, you know, the outcome. Sometimes more than, it is with the kid or I mean, with the kid or kids, it is with the parents as well. The reason that I wanted to talk or like ask the question regarding that is sometimes we parents, if the other kid that you're comparing with is also like par excellence, if your kid is getting B and even they are getting B, you are way of expressing that would be a little normal. You'll say like, yeah, you should do better. But if the other kid is like far better than yours, the minute it, it comes into your notice, you just jump on comparing your kid with the other one. So more than what I feel, sometimes it is like more than with the kids, it is with the parents and how you take that kind of information and you process it to your kid and how you want, you have to do it. So that's how I feel, yeah. Well, I think, and, and this is where the foundation of the transformation methodology program, um, where it starts is all around values. And I think, you know, with anything, whatever role we're in, whether it's, you know, we're being parent or we're leading the, you know, executive team at work or we're heading up a service organization in our local community, right? We have to be really clear on what our personal values are first. Absolutely. Before we can then instill those into any of the people that we influence or help shape. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
when you started just talking, you said like your motivational transformation methodology coaching, that's what you do. What exactly is that? How do you say like you are transferring a person's life? What kind of involvement would that be? What kind of what would that be? In involvement, because oh, transformations can be in different ways. Like, I mean, you see the body transformations are like, yeah, mindset transformation, whatever people are like giving so many names. So what exactly you focus on and what kind of a transformation is that? Yeah, so here's what I have to say about transformation is when we transform at a deep level, right? So it's not just behavior change. And I, I evaluate other coaching programs. I look very closely to see like, what, what is their process um, and, and how are they achieving results with their clients? Because listen, all of my clients, every single client I've ever worked with, it's they find me not because they don't know what to do. All of my clients have read all the books. They've done the online courses. You know, they've, they've Googled a million questions. And sometimes they even present me with some questions where I'm like, I don't even know what that means. Like, where did you learn that term from? You know, and they're like, oh, well, I read this, you know, research article by Dr. So-and-so. Um, so it's never a lack of knowledge. It is a lack of application. It's how do I make this work for me? It's not what do I need to do? It's how do I make this work for me? And so it, it is the question because that's what everybody wants, right? With whatever the outcome is, it's like, I have this, this big dream, right? It might be advancing my business. It might be um, being a more, um, doing a, a better job with parenting in terms of being patient and attending to my child. It, it might be nurturing my, your marriage and, and, um, forming a, a deeper bond with your partner. These are all different examples of transformation, but I will tell you the most beautiful thing about the transformation methodology is that typically the chief complaint um, by, by focusing on the chief complaint, we actually see a ripple effect because the entire transformation is realigning a person to their place of brilliance. And when I refer to the place of brilliance, what I mean is that I direct the client to start honoring what it is they specifically need to be in their best life. Now that varies person to person. It's never the same exact thing, but the word honor is really important because I think deep down inside, we all know there are certain things that we need to do, but sometimes they're not popular or they're not convenient, or maybe they're, um, they are not a shared values with other people in our community or in our support system. And so it's helping the client navigate how do you honor those things that put you in your best self versus living your life in accordance to the value system that is surrounding you. Absolutely true. You also mentioned right now, like, yeah, aligning with their brilliance. Let's say, for example, some people may not even understand what they're good with. Mm -hmm. How do you work with such kind of people or like what, what would be your approach? 
Well, this is where I leverage, you know, all of my education, training, and expertise. And I ask a lot of um, self-reflective questions. Um, the work begins, I have a pre-discovery workbook that all of my clients complete. And um, while they're, you know, just sharing information with me, my fine eye reads trying to pick out patterns because we are patterned in individuals, all of us. And um, even when we do our best work to develop new patterns, typically during you know, times of stress, we can be triggered back into default patterns without even thinking. It's like an, an automated response. So, um, so a lot of times people are giving me patterns they don't even realize. And then when I create a visual for them of what I see happening, you see the light bulbs go off in their head. You're like, you know, I, oh, Heidi, you know, you, you put it right out there for me. That seems so obvious the way you did that. But see, the beautiful thing is once we shine the light on the pattern, I'm, we can never take that light off of it again. You know, it's like it's forever been exposed and it becomes like a new, um, a new button, a new, you know, sensitivity spot for us where it's like we can almost hear the inner dialogue as we're saying something out loud, like, oh no, I'm about to say that thing again. I'm about to go back into that victim mindset, or I'm about to personalize what my, you know, team member is saying to me, you know, I'm about to blah, blah, blah. You see what I'm saying? And so we have to figure out now what is the new pattern that needs to be in place to achieve the desired outcome. Absolutely. When you mentioned like you are explaining them in the visual way of it. I bet every scenario is most satisfying for you when they realize their potential and keep transforming their lives. But there will be some of the cases where, where they are really tough to tap into their inner self to understand where they can really like have to make the transformation. So in such scenarios, would you be able to give any example where you felt like this is the toughest case that you had are like, yeah, this is one of the toughest that you felt. I, you know, it's so hard because I struggle with words like, you know, tough or hard because we all have our own version of hard, you know? And so what it's really about is, you know, if I perceive something to be less hard, I'm actually you know, I feel I'm, I'm not really honoring what I'm hearing my clients say is, is being really hard for them. And that might be part of the pattern is, um, is for, to direct my client to help them understand why is this feeling so hard for you? Where is the resistance coming from? One of the things I've done really well is I've incorporated a vocabulary that I feel is um, very representative of a lot of the different um, turmoil that we experience. One of the most um, common um, words that I use with my clients that, that they appreciate is I talk about being stuck in quicksand. And so it's introduced early on in the program. I have my clients all define their own version of quicksand, you know, sort of the, you know, where the chaos in their life exists, where there's dysfunction, where there may have even been, you know, past 
most um, adverse experiences, where there's stress, um, where there are unhealthy people in their life, right? So it's, it's all of these things. Sometimes it's even unhealthy roles that we assume, you know, um, we might be the fixer or the peacekeeper, or um, we might be the caretaker, right? And so, you know, just even um, hearing my clients like identify with some of those roles gives me a lot of information. How the vocabulary is really helpful is later on in the program, because, you know, transformation is not linear, right? So when life happens, as I say, you know, you've got a week where the stomach flu runs through your house, your car needs to be serviced, um, and, you know, you had three people call out of work and you've got to, you know, fill in some extra time, right? Those types of weeks that come up. Um, it's like, how do you keep yourself from going back into the quicksand? Right. And so I can say to my clients, it sounds like you're in the quicksand right now. And it's an immediate identification. Like, you're right. I, I don't need to be in the quicksand. How do I get myself out of this? And at that point in the, in the program, they typically have already identified the strategies and tools that they need to rely on to, to keep themselves from sinking deeper. You are mentioning action versus a application versus just taking the information. It is not about the knowledge. Everybody has knowledge, but they're not applying it. What do you suggest for such kind of people for them to start or like, where should they start with? Yeah. So, you know, at the beginning of the program, I set the expectation that the program is a process, not an event, right? And, and that is the beginning of even the way they receive information and guidance from me. Right, I talk about keeping things in motion. So if I give suggestions, feedback, strategies, well, it does you no good if you just absorb it or file it or tuck it away in a notebook or write it down, right? Now, how are we going to apply this piece of information that the client is saying to me is so valuable? Like that makes complete sense. All right, let's figure out a way to put it in motion. Because if it just stays stuck on the piece of paper, then it's no longer going to serve you. And it's not going to be any different than all of the failed attempts you've had previously, which is you buy the book that promises the system, you read the book, you comprehend the book, you agree with everything in the book. And then after you're done reading it, the book goes back on the shelf and life moves on as you know it. Yeah. In your pre-discovery workbook, would you be able to just tell us a couple of questions? Like what exactly will that be focused on? I'm pretty sure everybody's answer related to their life or like why they are coming to you is definitely different. Yeah. But what kind of a questionnaire? Yeah. I mean, I'm asking all different things. I want to dive deep into what's important to you. Um, you know, what, what is it, you know, that you really want to have changed here? Um, if that thing was changed, how would it make the rest of your life different, other aspects of your life? And I'll get specific in that with them. Um, I may ask um, questions about, you know, what types of approaches they've tried in the past um, to, to implement a change in this exact, you know, with this exact same circumstance, what's worked, what hasn't worked. You know, so it's it's all different pieces of information because that allows me to learn so much about them. And in the process, 
they're also learning a lot about themselves. Yeah. So true. That's so true. Answering to somebody or like, not to somebody, at least like self-evaluation is what I feel that is. So when you are evaluating yourself through this questionnaire, probably you'll definitely have those many light bulbs may or may not have the answers. Yeah, well, at least it's just a greater awareness, right? And that's where the coach is so critical in the process because none of us can see everything for ourselves, right? That's the whole idea around subjectivity and objectivity, right? It's the same reason why I hire my own coaches as well because I can't see, even though I am a professional, right? I still can't see everything in my world the way someone else can because I'm right on top of it, right? And that's why we need that objective person to, you know, share observations and allow us to internalize that and make sense of it for ourselves, right? And the other piece that you get with a coach is the accountability, right? Because just like that book that you, you know, re, you know, shelved in your, in your house, well, there's no one in your home that's saying, hey, what happened to that book you were reading last week? Like, I thought you were going to take steps one through four this week, right? Typically, you know, we don't, we don't have someone, you know, that close to us that is making sure we do the thing that we said we wanted to do in, in some sort of casual fleeting conversation. When you are saying that you yourself will have that need sometimes, how do you keep your sanity? Oh my gosh. So, you know, I walk the walk, you know, when, when I talk to my clients about, you know, implementing, you know, some type of a routine or a ritual every single day that um, encompasses, you know, things that they need to keep themselves well. Um, you know, I, I, a lot of my clients are surprised when I say the first seven things on my to-do list every single day are just about me. They're not about, you know, my kids, my partner, my, um, my businesses, my, you know, client work. No, it's just me, just me. That was my next question to ask you. <laughs> yeah. You are already there. Yeah. And, and so it's, it is to the point, um, where recently I had to travel with my kids and there was one day that I didn't get to all seven things that I really enjoy doing every morning. And um, I came home and I was telling my husband, I'm like, I just, I don't even feel right today. Like, I just, I, I really missed not being able to like sit and do like my whole ritual, you know? Um, and it's, it, it's not coming from a place of obsession. It's coming from a place of that's what grounds me. And again, because we are patterned beings, when we create these types of rituals in our life, it creates a grounding experience for us. It's predictable. Um, it, it actually induces feelings of calm and peace and allows us to take so much more from the activities that we're doing once they have become that routine and ingrained. Yeah, some stories might be a little, uh, it's not hard again. Uh, it's like really, how to put it, disturb you. Maybe uh, it's not even disturbance, as you say. It's like, it is hard for you to digest the story or something like that. You are also emotionally moved, involved so much into that. So for such kind of a scenarios, if you are taking them till your end of the day, 
it might disturb you in several things in your day-to-day -day life. Usually this happens with every therapist is what I heard. Like, I mean, some of the stories, they that will be there in their memories for longer. Sometimes they also get disturbed or sometimes they go and get help for themselves, so on and so forth. Sure, of course. So yeah, do you have such stories and what do you do for it? Mm. So, you know, I think it, it really varies depending on what it is that I'm hearing. And I think the most disturbing stories typically come through from my clinical practice. Um, but, uh, you know, again, I've, you know, I have a network of safe supports, including, you know, sort of mentors that I would sort of process difficult um, things with if it was more from um, just trying to create peace of mind. Um, but I also, you know, personally find it very helpful to, you know, go for long walks without any type of input, no music, no um, podcasts, no, you know, listening to books, really just for me to be with my thoughts um, and um, be out in nature and just be able to like sort of decompress and work through things. Um, but I also, you know, and I, I hope all of the therapists that you're um, talking with, and even the coaches too, I hope that they've also gone through different types of trainings and support that are available to them, you know, um, you know, related to vicarious trauma, um, related to um, if they are a trained trauma therapist around self-care and um, preventing um, you know, burnout and exhaustion in the field, um, because really we do have to role model um, being masters at self-care for our clients, because, you know, it's just like with parenting, you know, our children do what they see us do, not what we tell them to do. Well, the same is true with our clients. I believe that. And so that is why, you know, I you know, take pride in how I put myself together every day and how I take time for myself and, and spend time. I mean, it, it's alignment. You know, I spend time on my own personal growth, not because someone's saying I have to, because it is a deep ingrained value within me. And so it naturally supports the work that I do. Some people might not need help at all, though they are hearing most awful things are like, yes, such a disturbing stories or something. I heard comments like, I mean, uh, you don't feel anything with them or like you don't, you're not an empathetic person or so on and so forth. Is that really true that they don't really connect or like they connect and they know how to take care of themselves or like disconnect once the conversation is done? So I think, um, you know, you're talking about like professionals and how they use like boundaries and limits. Is, is that what you're? Even the coaches, for example, let's say uh, some, some coaches there, I went to them, I told my story to them and uh, they gave me advices, whatever needs to be done. And they are done with the day they disconnected and they moved on. For me, my story is like the most traumatical, even like if I, I'm actually putting it outside, it, it might be most traumatical situations. However, they dealt with me like a normal client. They are done with whatever they have to do with me and they moved on. Not every story can be moved on as you were just mentioning, like it might be exhausting and tiring sometimes. If they are not really feeling that exhaustion or tiring with any kind of story, doesn't matter what it is. 
do they really feel like i mean they are connected with these people or like they're not what, what is that so i think they may be connected and they may also be able to separate more easily than someone without the same professional training and guidance may be able to so it's really it's hard for me to give a general statement around you know about something where I haven't actually spoken to the person, but I do know that that is possible. I think both can be true. Um, you know, you can be fully engaged and um, attending to a client and right with them emotionally, but it doesn't mean that you take on the other person's emotions. Um, and that's where emotional boundaries are critical in any type of helping profession. That is what I, I wanted to actually understand. Like, yes, everybody should have those boundaries to how far that you can go and take it. Yeah, boundaries are critical. Um, and, you know, I do talk about boundaries in the transformation methodology because in order to transform, we have to be very protective of self. Um, and so, you know, we talk about, you know, there are physical boundaries or emotional boundaries, intellectual, spiritual um, you know, there's all different types of examples of boundaries. Um, and, and boundaries does, they, do, it doesn't mean that you're keeping people out necessarily, yeah. you know, this is, it's more about what are you protecting or preserving? Yeah. So true. And, um, how do you define success for yourself? Um, for myself, um, you know, I really, I, I was going back and revisiting a values exercise um, for actually with um, I'm doing some more work with a different coach and inner harmony has really risen to one of my top three values um, really because I feel like it encompasses and represents the things I know I need in my life to really feel um, to really feel good about the work that I'm doing, right? So meaningful work is important to me, but I can't really achieve that unless I'm in a place of inner harmony. Um, and so I think when I am really living out my life in that way, it feels very successful for me um, because I, I hold my responsibilities very, um, very high. And it's not just, you know, responsibility to myself, but I, you know, I'm I'm responsible to my children. I'm responsible to my clients, and you know, and and I need to be at a good place to be able to achieve that. Where do you get your strength from? Mm. <laughs> meaning, meaning emotional strength. Uh, yeah, to deal with everything around you. Um. So I think. I think really it's a culmination for me of, you know, I've been through a lot of things in my life. I, you know, I'll say to people, like, I don't look like what I've been through. Um, and it's, I don't really, it's not about any embarrassment or shame why I don't talk about what I've been through. It's really because I don't, I've never let that define me. Um, and again, that that comes from my belief and my value in personal growth and personal development. Um, you know, I, I just believe like the work is never done. Um, 
And I really wish we could change the vocabulary there. I keep saying this every time I say the work aloud in an interview, I, I go back and say, we really should be calling it the magic because when we are invested in that, it feels magical. You know, when we uncover something, you know, about ourselves, even when we act out in ways that, you know, humiliate us or embarrass us or, you know, that we, re we regret, there is such an opportunity to learn and to see ourselves as human um, because none of us are perfect. And again, we can get pulled in ways that surprise us even when we believe we've done all the work there is to do. It's like, oh, here we go. We're, you know, this is, this is coming back up in a different way. And, you know, we, it doesn't discount any of the work that we've done. It just allows us to lean into a new situation and gain a deeper understanding and appreciation. Yeah. What is the best advice that you have ever got? And what is the worst advice that you have got? The, um, the best and worst, what was that word that you said? Advice. Advice. Um, the best advice I've ever gotten um, was from a mentor early on in my career who, who would say, trust the relationship. Um, meaning in times when you are questioning or feeling powerless or, um, or doubting something, um, it's go back and really reflect here, you know, trust the relationship, trust every experience, every, um, you know, the trust, the, the, the bond or the trust that you've built with that person, you know, just, just sit in trust for a minute. Um, and the worst advice I've ever gotten, I don't know. I don't know what the worst advice would be. That's a hard one. That's a hard one. <laughs> don't worry about that. So you said in the morning, your seven things ritual in the morning. What is your routine when you go to bed? Hmm. When I go to bed, it's, it's, so I am quick to fall asleep. So it is pretty much, you know, dressing, getting ready for bed, washing up my face, brushing my teeth. Um, and I, I cozy into bed and I'm, I'm out pretty quickly. <laughs> there, there isn't typically a big, long routine there. Um, yeah. If somebody is looking for coaches, mentors, uh, for whatever the help they need, how do you suggest them to find a best one that is suitable for them? Hmm. So, you know, I think I would encourage people to really think about um, what have they done in the past? What have they tried? You know, have they been to therapy? Have they had previous coaching experiences? Have they taken the online course? What's been effective and what hasn't been effective and why? And that identifies your gap, right? So, you know, you worked in a group coaching program. Um, you admit there was a ton of knowledge, but why didn't you end up where you thought you would be at the end of that program? Right. Um, and, and, you know, then what do you need to not repeat that same pattern moving forward? And that is now your biggest question when you're, you know, meeting with a potential coach, right? You want to ask them, you know, ab about how you will get that need met or listen carefully to, um, 
to what the coach says to see if they're they're in alignment with what it is you need. Now that you said about it, this is this is the last question I believe, depending on your explanation. Sure. <laughs> when people ask you, are like you are referring to you, how can you say that you will be the person for them? for the help, to give the help that they are looking. It's something like, why you? Yeah. Well, here's the thing. I actually ask my clients why why they think I am the person that can help them. Um, I ask them that because I want to make sure that I can do what they think I can do. <laughs> right? Because I, I am not here, you know, to overpromise something that I, that's not in my expertise or that really isn't the focus of my work. But what I will tell you, and I do believe that this is different, is I do know how to ask the questions to guide clients to, to discover the answers that they need to be able to move forward. And that's because of my education experience and expertise. Um, you know, there's and, and I'm not underestimating, I know there's a lot of wonderful coaches out there who have gone through certificate programs and things like that, but it's, it's different when you've been working in a clinical environment for so long. Um, you know, it just, it comes so very naturally to me. And I hear that feedback from my clients, right? So, so that's, you know, it, it sort of um, like endorses, you know, my belief. You know, what I would say is if any of the information that you listen to here during this podcast, if it's resonating with you and you're, you're, um, you're sitting there feeling like you've been hitting your head against the wall, like, you know, why? It seems so simple the way that Heidi's talking about these things. Um, I, I do believe that change can be much more simpler than we make it um, just because we naturally overcomplicate things. But this is an opportunity for your listeners to schedule a breakthrough call with me um, just to, to see if they can begin to connect some really important dots um, that could be really useful in their transformation journey or towards the goals that they're trying to achieve. Okay, thank you for tuning in. And you can find me on all the socials at Smitha Gunturi and the show notes for any resources mentioned. See you next week. Take care.